listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to John chapter uh, 4, or John chapter 5, sorry. John chapter 5 this morning. Man, as you're doing that, man, have you ever find yourself in like this just hopeless and helpless situation? Man, as I'm going to Nicaragua this week, I thought about a time in my life where I really thought, man, I was totally out of control, uh, no hope, no help, that my wife was going to read about this in the news one day. And we were leaving Sierra Leone, and it's in the middle of the night, and you heard uh, Clint talking about that country. So, very poor in resources. We're coming across the sea in one of their boats. In the bottom hole of this boat, uh, they called it a speed boat. That's still under negotiation about what that means in that culture. Middle of the night and a storm blows through and you can feel that entire boat coming up out of the water, crashing down. I didn't know if the boat was going to split in half. You could feel it starting to turn on either side. Water's coming all the way up over the boat. And I remember thinking, this is it. This is how I'm going out. Uh, Absolutely hopeless. Thinking about that this week, that can you imagine what it was like for that young soccer team trapped in those caves, not knowing, you know, we're seeing it, no one helps coming. They have no idea. And man, this could be the day the water rises and you know, that they find us um, someday. Or the hurricanes that, that crash against the shore, the winds of this last hurricane, thinking, man, is this it? And it's those hopeless situations that you're out of control. There's nothing else you can do. And I don't know, maybe even in your own personal life, you're feeling that. It's just, you've tried everything. It just seems hopeless. Maybe it's with finances. Maybe it's in your own homes, those interpersonal relationships. Maybe it's with the business that you are in, maybe it's health, that we find ourselves in these situations that that we're just absolutely hopeless. And then we get to the place where we'll try anything. Well, that's where we see a man this morning. He is absolutely hopeless. He's absolutely without hope. And he is willing to try anything that he can this morning. But here's what we're going to see. We're going to see hope, meet him right where he is. He's not going to realize it at all. It's going to completely surprise him. But Jesus is much more concerned about something else. Yes, he's going to heal this man, and it's going to be unbelievable. But Jesus is much more concerned about something else. He's much more concerned about the storm, the hopelessness that's in this man's soul. And that's what he is after this morning. And in doing this, Jesus is going to assert his authority over two major things. But we don't like that. We don't like people asserting their, their authority. We're uncomfortable with that. That You know, we like being in control. That's why we have to have rules. Um, but Jesus is going to do this in a beautiful way this morning. But here's kind of where we are in our walk through John. Chapter 1 is kind of the overview of the book. You can turn to John 20, verses 30 and 31. It gives you the purpose. I'm writing these things that you may believe and Jesus is the Son of God to eternal life. And then in 2 through 4, I mean, he's doing some things, he's teaching, he's healing in miracles, and there's this really curiosity about Jesus. Man, people are coming, they want to know who this man is and what he's all about. But then in chapter 5 through chapter 7, you see this major change in attitude. 
Men, they go from being interested to absolutely persecuting, persecuting him. And here's what we will notice. The more Jesus asserts his authority, the more they're opposed to him. Man, isn't that kind of how we are at times? That, man, we kind of like to keep things at a distance. And, man, you know, Jesus, if you can do your thing, but, you know, don't mess with my thing. And the more he asserts his authority, we'll either accept it with joy or we will become more opposed to him. And Jesus is going to do that. He's going to assert himself, reveal himself as the Lord of two things. The Lord over sickness and the Lord over the Sabbath. And it is the absolutely best thing for this man. So, in your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 5. It's where we are today. And we're going to be probably cover the first 18 verses today. And this is how it begins. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so after some time, so Jesus goes to the temple, and, you know, he cleans house, and he completely stops the Passover celebration all by himself. And then he goes off to Galilee for a while. He's traveling around, and he's doing miracles, and he's doing healings. He's having conversations with people that, that he shouldn't be having conversations with, according to the culture. But then he comes back to Jerusalem. In fact, John records more interaction, the temple and the Passover, and around Jerusalem than any other gospel. And then in verse 2, he's going to tell us kind of where he's at. He says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. And man, that's going to be important for this entire gospel. That is the gate. It's on the northern end. And this is where they would bring in the sheep for the slaughter of the Passover. And when Jesus comes riding in on that, that young colt, to say, no, I am the Passover lamb. That is the gate he's going to enter through. And it says there, there was a pool. It's actually several pools. And Aramaic is called uh, Bethsaida, or it could be Bethesda. It's got five kind of covered porches there. And so here's a map. It's of Jerusalem. You can see the temple. And on the north side is the sheep gate. And outside that were these pools that had these covered porches uh, for people. In fact, you can go today and they've actually, uh, archaeologists have uncovered this and you can see these pools even today. You can see the outline of where they stood. But actually, you go there and you will see kind of what's happening. Why were these built? Man, many think it was because for the purification process. But in verse 3, look at the scene. And in these lay a multitude of invalids or invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. and So imagine the scene that around these pools are people, it's a multitude, too many to count. People that are blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. They're, what society would say, they're of no value, they're, they're invalids, they're, they're of no value to us. So the question is, why are they there? Why are they gathering around these pools? Now, if you've got an ESV or uh, I believe even the NIV, notice there's something strange. Notice verse 1. You've got a verse 2, you've got a verse 3, but you don't have a 4. And you're thinking, wait, I need to go get a refund. My Bible's incomplete here. Kind of what's going on? But you do have a footnote. And I think it's the NASB. It'll, it actually encords uh, verse 4 in there. It's nothing to be worried about. Uh, what happens is when they were recording in the earlier manuscripts that they have uncovered, that verse 4 is not there. But later on, about 400 A.D., there were scrolls that they began finding that uh, was kind of added as a commentary. And 
uh, what it does, it gives us an insight into what these people were doing. In fact, verse 4, this is how it reads. Waiting for the moving of the waters. An angel of the Lord would come down at certain seasons into the pool and it stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in and was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So what this is, it was a superstition that believed that an angel would stir the water. And many, if you were quick enough, if you were fast enough, and you were the first one in, then you would be healed. But that is not at all how God works. It's not consistent with his character. In fact, I think it's even cruel to think, you know what, you serve a God that sets up for his favor or blessing that it's the quickest one. Fastest one, you're the one that gets God's blessing and favor. But we read through Scripture, and that isn't at all God. That isn't at all His character. But imagine that scene. That here are these pools, and all around are these people that are suffering from all kinds of illnesses and disabilities. They're the outcast of society. They're absolutely hopeless. And I think that's what John is trying to portray to us, is this desperate, hopeless scene. All these people gathered around, just hoping, maybe today, maybe today. And that's what happens. Man, when we become hopeless, man, we will try anything. We will believe in anything, even in superstitions. But Jesus is standing around. So his disciples, they're not with him. So he's off to the side. He's kind of incognito. He surveys the crowd. And in verse 5, he notices a man, one man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. So all the people are there. And I I wonder, what was it about this man that Jesus looks upon and notices? In fact, he could have healed everybody there. I absolutely believe that. But he sets his compassion on this one man. Perhaps, maybe he was the most hopeless. Uh, Maybe he was the one that was beyond hope. It says for 38 years he was this way. We're not for sure really what the man's problem was or what his condition was. Would a man back in this time would only live to be his early 40s. So in fact, this could be, he's almost been this way his whole life. But what happens next is really odd. Remember the scene. So these pools that they believed if the angel stirred the water, the first one in, you would be healed. Man, it's where everybody went. I I think the religious leaders were fine with that. Man, they can believe what they want to believe as long as they stay out of our way. Keep them up there, the north of the gate, won't bother us. But all these people that are looking for hope, they're looking for help. And Jesus picks out one man. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, notice he knew he had already been there a long time. And he says to him, do you want to be healed? Now doesn't that just seem like the oddest and most ridiculous question that Jesus would ask this man that's been lame for 38 years. He's there by the pool, and Jesus comes up to him and says, Hey, you want to be healed? Man, you want to go? Of course this man wants to be healed. So why does he ask the question? Why does Jesus ask this odd, ridiculous question? Well, I believe it's because Jesus has greater plans than just healing this man physically or giving him the ability to walk. And this question is going to be a question we're going to see at the end. is important for each and every one of us sitting even here today. So notice the man's answer. 
The sick man answered him. So that's how he's known. That's his identity. He is sick. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred, well, I'm trying to go down with all of my power, all of my mind. Another person steps down before me. So yes, he has a desire. But he doesn't see any hope for his situation. When that water stirred, he tries to make it to the water, but somebody beats him to it. Somebody steps in front of him. But this man doesn't realize that hope is actually standing right in front of him. And that there's actually a healing this man needs that is far more important than just the ability to walk. So look at what Jesus tells him to do in verse 8. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your mat and walk. And at once the man was healed and he takes up his bed and he walks. And then John wants you to know, and now that day was the Sabbath. So Jesus tells him, hey, get up. Take up that mat. Walk. And at once he was healed. I mean, can you at all imagine what that was like for this man that for 38 years you've been without hope. You've been at the mercy of anyone else. You've lived your life in this condition probably your entire life. And all of a sudden some stranger comes up to you and all he says is, hey, do you want to be healed? He says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And all of a sudden, you've got feelings in your legs you've never felt. You feel strength in them that you've never felt before. And all of a sudden, you can stand and walk like everyone else. If that happens to me, I'm telling you, you would have heard me scream from Nicaragua. Man, you would have heard it. I mean, I imagine this man grabbing up his mat, running through the streets, uh, hooting and hollering, high-fiving everybody he can Drawing attention to what has happened, I imagine people not being able to believe their eyes as this man that they've known, they've watched day after day, perhaps begging for money, yelling, I'm healed. But what happens next is even more unbelievable than Jesus saying, hey, do you want to be healed? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. But this is what happens when we're just religious. This is what happens when all that we do is based on a list of do's and don'ts and you get blinded to the truth that is before you. And notice what happens. So the Jews, and that means those that were opposing Jesus, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. I think, doesn't he know that? Don't you know it's not lawful for you to take up your bed? And I'm going, are you kidding me? This man has just been healed and when religious leaders like Nicodemus that we saw a couple of weeks ago, they saw this man, all they're concerned about is he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. I mean, you see what that does to people? The lack of compassion that all they're concerned about is you've broken the Sabbath. But not the way the Lord intended. It's all their do's and don'ts that they have set in place. I mean, they have done some things. They're so scared of disappointing God and disobeying one of his laws, they are blinded to the reality of what the Sabbath was created for. In fact, I shared some of those silly rules they came up with last week, but that's how zealous they were. But the problem was you could not carry something from private to public or vice versa. You couldn't do it. So when they see this man carrying his mat, they stop and say, hey, don't you know you can't do that? But what we don't realize just by reading the text here is this man was doing far more than just that. If they caught you doing this, 
that they could stone you to death. But this man, he doesn't care. Man, I know I wouldn't care. Man, you're walking, you've been healed by a man that you have no idea who he is. All of a sudden, you are completely healed. And this man's taking his own life in his hands. He absolutely doesn't care. But those that around him had a total lack of compassion. But in verse 11, so they go to him. Notice, this is what they're concerned about. You've broken our law on the Sabbath. Do you understand that? And they ask him, who was it? And the man who healed me, the man, I don't know, he said to me, take up your bed and walk. That's all the man knows. The sad point is, we don't know if he ever believes. But in verse 12, they asked him, hey, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed, he did not know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn and as there was a crowd at the place, and of course there was. There was all these people, that, they hear the commotion, they had seen what has happened, they heard everybody rushes, and Jesus slips away. But Jesus isn't finished. In verse 14, afterwards, Jesus found the man in the temple. He goes seeking this man out. See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So he seeks him out, and I want to show us what I believe is happening here. I believe Jesus is casting a new vision for this man's life. But that phrase can be a little tricky, that he tells him, go and sin no more, that nothing else, nothing worse may happen. But you know, there are situations, I think that you could say, yes, there are a few situations where something that's happened to somebody is a direct correlation to a sin in their life. You know, uh, we, we break a law that, that God has put in place and there could be a consequence for that that we have to endure. But most of the time that isn't the case. But every disease and every illness is absolutely a direct relation to the fall. But in this situation, we're not really told what happened or what's going on exactly with the man. But Jesus tells him, sin no more, go that nothing worse may happen. And I believe Jesus is calling him to something else. I believe he wants to take control of this man's life. No longer live according to what you think or according to your plans. Follow me. He tells him to go and sin no more. There's something greater for you. But what the man does next is, man, it's disturbing. And this man's done for you something you could never do for yourself. But in verse 15, the man went away. And notice what he does. He seeks out those Jews and he says, hey, I've learned who he was. It was Jesus who had healed me. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So we're seeing the transition. It's going from interest to persecution. And this man rats him out. But the problem is we're going to see this change of attitude more and more. The more Jesus assorts his authority or establishes his authority, the more they're opposed to him. And we're going to begin to see this more and more. And most of the time, you know what it's going to be about? It's going to be about the Sabbath. In fact, you look to John 9. Jesus cures a blind man on the Sabbath. Mark 2, the disciples. Remember where they're picking the grain? Mark 3, Jesus heals a man of a, a shriveled hand. Luke 13, he cures a woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. Luke 14, Jesus heals a man with dropsy. And all of those took place on the Sabbath. 
Because Jesus is showing, not only am I Lord over the sickness, he's showing them I'm Lord over the Sabbath. But what Jesus says next makes them even more and more opposed. Because remember, the more he uh, puts his authority and establishes it, the more they become opposed to him. So notice they're doing it on the Sabbath. He's making them do those things. That upsets them. But in verse 17, and Jesus answers them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So we have gone in just a few chapters from interest to wanting blood. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. You see, the Jews, they're totally missing the point of the Sabbath. And they are totally opposed to Jesus because what he is doing in this. And that's what legalism does. It blinds us to what is really important. It causes us to miss the forest for the trees. In Mark 2, he tells us the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But to truly understand what's going on, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath was a day of rest. But it's not an idle rest. It's not sitting around doing nothing. It's an active rest. Because even resting, God is always holding all things in existence together. So the key insight to the Sabbath is Genesis chapter 2. And you remember the creation account? For six days God created, but on the seventh he rested. But there's something interesting, and it's not what is there, but what's not there. In fact, on the first day it says there was morning and evening, First day, morning and evening, day two, morning and evening, day four, morning and evening, day six. But when you get to day seven, there is no morning and evening. It's as if that day is continuing on. I believe this means that God entered into his Sabbath rest and he is still in that rest while he is still working to hold all things together. And Jesus says, no, no, you're missing it. You don't even see it. But my father is still working. Therefore, I am working. Because that's what we see happens. God created. God rested. Doesn't take long man's sins. And God goes right back to work with this plan of redemption. So in verse 17, but here's what causes these, those who oppose Jesus, that now they want to kill him. That he is claiming equality with God. He says, God is still working. Even on the Sabbath, therefore, I still am. In fact, in their eyes and in their belief of faith, no one should ever claim that. But they're missing the point. The Son of God has come, but they can't see past their own authority. They can't see past their own rules, their, their desire to control everything. But Jesus uses this man's hopeless situation to, first of all, show compassion. But he also begins to show his authority that, hey, you're missing it. I'm Lord over all sickness, and I'm Lord over the Sabbath. So I want to tell you what I have seen this passage speak to me about this past week. That I need to remind myself more and more that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. And he is Lord over the sickness. And that means that my greatest sickness, sin, my only hope is that he is Lord over it. My only hope in that. But he's also Lord over the Sabbath. I see a couple of things here. First of all, that it's not an idle rest. It's an active rest. That today there are activities that we are to enjoy, 
such as worship and teaching and ministering others. We're going to gather in each other's homes this evening. And those are good things. And they should bring us joy. They should bring us peace. And they should energize us. That there is a day set aside where we break from the normal activities. But there's another thing that I see that I need to preach to myself more and more. That I ultimately find rest in knowing that I don't have to do anything else to earn God's love or His favor. That I can rest in the finished work of Christ. I no longer have to work to be accepted by God. That I can rest in what His Son has done for me. I can rest because Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. So where I find this is battling for my identity and my worth. Because listen, I battle this every day. Man, I put it in things like, well, how well I've done. Even this week, that here we are teaching these pastors and church leaders, and man, all I'm worried about, man, are they going to think I'm better than the other guy? And I'm putting my identity and my worth in, in the wrong things, or in how well I'm doing as a parent. Man, I feel like I get judged on that, or in my marriage, or if people like me, or the success. And I find myself working and working, finding my worth and value in things I should never be putting them in. But reminding myself that, no, my worth and my value is in the finished work of Christ. And so I know maybe that you can relate to that message even today. But I want to leave us with Jesus' question. He looked at this man. And it seems obvious, it seems ridiculous. Do you want to be healed? But I think this is a question, it's actually a very important question that we all need to be answering. In fact, probably every day. And the question what Jesus is doing, he is summarizing the greatest problem in our lives. So if you're not a believer this morning, man, I want to I pass this question on to you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to find rest? Because all you have to do is Trust in Him this morning. There's, there's no work you have to go do. There's no proving that you have to go do. You simply turn to Him and you find that forgiveness and He makes you new. Because if you want to, man, you could be healed right now, here this morning. In fact, I pray He's already done that. But for those of us that say, well, maybe we're already Christians. But this is also a very important question that we need to be asking. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to find rest in the Lord of the Sabbath? Because here's some questions I wrestle with. Man, do you kind of live with this feeling that, man, God's always disappointed in you? You've never really kind of done enough or, or your good is never good enough? Or man, you have a really great week and you feel like God kind of owes you an answer to prayer? Or maybe you assume that you can do something. Man, if I work really hard this week, if I really do this thing, if I get it right, man, God will love me more. Or I better be careful not to do that, or, or God's going to love me less. Or if you're like me, you're placing your value and worth on how well you're doing in so many other things of your life. So the question that I have to keep asking myself that we need to ask is, do I really want to be healed? And I believe with all of my heart that if we do, and... We take the time to ask God to do that work within us that we can truly find healing and rest. So would you pray that prayer with me this morning?
Father, we thank you for this incredible, crazy, at times ridiculous story. But Father, we see your son doing something amazing. He was far more concerned about what was going on in this man's soul that will live for eternity more than just his physical healing. And at the same time, you are using this uh, to show your authority as Lord over all sickness and Lord over the Sabbath. But Lord, help us not to miss it. Because Lord, we ultimately all need that healing. And then each and every day, Lord, we need that. But Lord, I pray ultimately that one day we get to experience that ultimate forever Sabbath rest. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know that, doesn't believe that, Lord, give them the faith to believe and to trust in your son and what he did for them. That he lived the life they could never live and he died the death that they deserved and he offers that forgiveness and eternal life freely with no strings attached. Lord, for those of us that are believers, Lord, we need to ask that question. Do we want to be healed? And help us to say yes. That we would examine our lives and you would reveal the things that need to be healed. Father, thank you for this truth this morning. Would you hide it into our hearts? Lord, it's in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we pray these things. Amen and amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.